Roll for Initiative. Welcome back, everyone, to the Roll for Initiative podcast, issue number 42, The Answer to Life. I guess we don't have to do a show now because we've answered everybody's questions. everything, too. Yeah, I, I, I guess we don't have to do a show, right? Because we pretty much answered everything. Yeah, answers 42. Here we All go. right, good night, folks. No, I'm kidding. Not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, DM Vincent, along with DM Nick this week. Nick, what's up, buddy? Wow, wow, yeah, it's like my first show of the of the year i'm like had a lot of stuff happen over the holidays and some other personal things that happened recently but uh mm. you know gaming's been great uh had get this what? a few weeks ago had a uh gaming session mm-hmm. with with my kids right my wife whoa yeah it gets better, and some neighbors of ours and their kids. Awesome. What'd you yeah, play? Yeah, it, it was a very weird, surreal moment, but we all played first edition AD&D for a nice. few hours. I used the uh, that you know, the dungeon deck. Mm-hmm. I just did a quick little adventure there, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool time. I had really fun with it, so it was okay. That's awesome. I mean, how many more family members can you get in that game? That's, that's really cool, Nick. I mean, we had one, two, we had like eight people. I'm surprised. I didn't know your wife was a gamer. Neither did I. <laughs> Uh-oh. No, it was like, she'll play. I've been trying for years to try to get her to play, and this was like the first time where she's like, all right, I'll sit down and play if uh, our friends will play with us, you know. So it's like, it was uh-huh. other people playing, too. Did, you know, she, did she like it? Yeah. So it was still cool, though. It was very cool. Everybody had a good time fighting zombies and skeletons. So use that that great uh, role play day that uh, that dungeon deck. Yeah. And fantastic. So anybody else who wants to use it, you know, grab it if you can and uh, start in the new campaign for uh, the uh, for my Hackmaster game, too. So that turned out to be quite a surprise for everybody i could finally reveal what it's all about well tell me yes it's uh (laughs) set uh it was set in a regular at the regular time in the game world that i'm using that that's for hack master the gary's world setting but um there's like a really there's a really big war going on it kind of it has something to do with you know the giant series if you're familiar with those modules and mm-hmm. some other couple other the slave lords and the another evil empire that's in that game world and basically the forces of good are not doing so well the forces of evil are are winning uh, huge tracts of land <laughs> and this brave band of adventurers that have been made, made up are in a new they're all new. They're uh, in an existing town or village of, of Salt Marsh. So they're familiar with the, the town of Salt Marsh mm-hmm. and everything there. But what happens is uh, they hear rumor that the, uh, the forces of evil are maybe two weeks away from Salt Marsh. And Salt Marsh, where it's situated geographically, is crucial. They have to keep this town, this village open. The, the, the supply route's going, and, and it's a just a key strategic position. So they've been kind of, along with several other adventuring parties, kind of 
put on the uh, the militia list to help out with the town in case they're attacked. Right. They're not obligated to stay in the whole town all the time, but yes, if the attack comes, they should be ready to go. Well, they decided to hear uh, hit up on a rumor about some uh, long-forgotten dwarven uh, stronghold out in the mountains nearby. Uh, they happened upon it. They are attacked by lots of undead that they are completely uh, outmatched by, which was kind of planned that way. I wanted them to run because this might seem a slight railroady in this respect, but I have to be railroady to get them where they are currently. After that, it's up to them. Right. What happens? The undead attack them. Some of them were whites, so <laughs> they didn't want to be a level trade at first level, or they die, they run away. A Lamassu shows up. Right. A greater Lamassu shows up. Basically says, come with me if you want to live. Oh, and, <laughs> and they're like, sure. <laughs> See, level drain, run with the Lamassu. I think we'll run with that guy. Uh, <laughs> so they run away with him because he casts like a flame strike and like wipes out half of the whites that are attacking him. He gets hit, though. They run away. He opens up a portal to the astral plane where he has his, his home. They get there. Now, and the Lamassu's recovering. In that time that they're in the astral plane, he has to recover from his wounds and everybody else that might have gotten hurt, right? Right. This is where it gets interesting. Okay. They're in the astral plane on this creature's lair, which is like a floating island of matter, and it's like a little little castle, what have you. So... <laughs> By the way, one of the group's a barbarian. He's totally freaked out by this. One. Uh, <laughs> so um, I use the manual of the planes. Uh-oh. Yes. Um, Hear that, Jeff Grubb? He used your book. Yeah, I used your book, Jeff. <laughs> use your damn book. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a major time difference between the prime material and the astral plane. Right. Major time difference. You could spend almost like a day in the astral plane. Several hundred years passes in the prime material. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I did the calculations. The Lamassu recovers. He finds out how long they've been there. He goes, oh, no, I got to send you back. Um. He gets, I, I made up something like he had like a crystal ball. He gets in contact with somebody there. There are the forces of good in the prime material. And he's like, oh my gosh, we, before I get you back, you must know something. Um, things have changed drastically back where you came from. I must take you back now. He takes him back. The village of Saltmarsh has completely changed. The evil empire has taken over. It's 500 years in the future. So everything that the party knew, everything they, they thought they knew, family members, friends, gone. We're talking a little over 500 years in the future. Hmm. So that's where they are now. And it's at the point where, like, there's three major evil empires and or four major empires one's like an empire made of like of of undead i brought back vec vecna uh <laughs> he's a demigod uh 
Yeah, the forces are good, are running. They're holding off on these few islands and a small sliver of land. Hmm. So it's up to them to make their way in the world and figure out how they can how they can make the forces of good uh, win out in the in the long run. So they're going to be major players. I think it's going to be interesting. Up to what they do from now on, I'll put out some plot hooks, some seeds. And it's up to them wherever they go is wherever they go. Now, are you blogging this anywhere, or is the campaign notes I, anywhere? Or I think I'm yeah, I'm going to start uh, something probably. Uh, you know, on our website, on the Roll for Initiative website, and probably put something there on uh, on a Dragon's Foot. I'm just gonna just gotta type it all out now. You use Epic Words or Obsidian Portal for those things. Yeah, I could probably be yeah, easier. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, we had the the, the guy on from. Uh, um, yeah, but yeah, we had Jonathan that? from uh, Epic Words. Yep, that's right. That's right. Epic Words. So yeah, I'll I'll go there too. So yeah. It's, I think it's a really good start. I'm excited about it because it's, I'm kind of breaking out of my mold of being, you know, very strict on, on things. Now it's like... It's about time. I'm trying to be a little more sandbox-ish. <clears throat> good, I'm going to have some... I mean, there's a lot of pre-made adventures, don't get me wrong, but it's more sandboxes of, like, wherever you guys go, guys go, you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know what? If you run into the Tomb of Horrors and you're only fourth level, you know what? Sucks <laughs> so to be, be you. <laughs> wow. Such is life. <laughs> All right, cool, Nick. Thanks for that update and that information. I'm sure people will enjoy to hear of that more in the future. Keep us uh, updated and posted on that. Yeah, what's been going on with you as far as the gaming scene over the holidays and what have you? Well, I've been doing my uh, Book of Sorrows, like I said last time. That's uh-huh. still going on. The players are still playing in that. And I almost had, I almost had a full like a total party kill almost a full tpk almost huh? but uh i had a new player that came in a paladin he like he pretty much evened the odds and saved them he did die- he wound up dying himself but wow he was brought back to life <laughs> yeah we got two paladins in the new party it should be interesting but <laughs> now i have uh one of the other players whose character did die permanently uh-huh. he's playing a dwarf now to to match the other dwarf in the party so there's kind of a bit of like a goofy insanity going on in the party so oh good yeah, the party's filled with fighters, clerics, and dwarves. <laughs> fighters and clerics and dwarves. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah, that's right. Clerics and dwarves. Oh, my. <laughs> well, you're probably listening now 10 minutes of the podcast going, wait a minute. Where's Jason? <laughs> yeah. We Jason. fired him. Jason's no longer. Nah, I'm just kidding. No, he's out <laughs> on holiday. Yeah, he's celebrating Chinese New Year or something. Yeah, with his uh, with his fiance. They went away. Yes. And uh, he said, uh, hello, everybody. And he wanted the podcast to go on. Uh so he wouldn't lose our schedule, and he said he'll be back next week, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, with lots the show of good must go on. lots of good pictures and uh, things to tell us about. Yes, so I'm kind of excited to hear about that because it's always interesting with the Chinese New Year. Hmm. May you live in interesting times. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we haven't had much uh, activity on the site because we were kind of you know in a lull right now, but hopefully things will get back to uh, normal with people publishing articles and. Whatnot, and we did find a resolve to the DM screen finally, so that should be uh, that should finally be getting published. Jason and I was scouring around, and Jason asked someone, and he found a place finally. <laughs> Outstanding. So he's uh, putting the layout together finally to, to what we gave him to uh, the printer, so we can get that out and printed for people. Cool. And you probably heard that the uh, podcast is part of the Wild Games Productions. That's my production company that I've been had for quite a while. I finally just decided to group all this, my projects under one 
like umbrella type thing. So, the Umbrella Corporation? No, it's not Umbrella <laughs> Corporation. Wild Games Productions. It has a website, but I took it down to revamp it. Get a little advice how to revamp it. But uh, all my projects are going to be under one thing now. Mm. We're still part of D20 Radio, so you'll hear their bumper as well. Cool. And speaking about projects, there is another podcast out there that I have for producing. And it's starring... Uh, it's starring uh, Glenn from the Save or Die podcast, who's moved on to do a second edition AD&D podcast, along with his co-host, Corey, who is uh, shown off, I believe, on the Dragon's Foot forums. And uh, it's called Thacko's Hammer, and you could uh, visit them at thacko'shammer.info, and they have a, uh, a full episode out right now. And they do have a fan page on Facebook, which they're working on. They have their websites up, and you can listen to the show directly from the website until iTunes approves them. But uh, they're sounding pretty good, and want to give cool. them a little, give them a little plug because I know we have a lot of second edition uh, fans here that listen to this podcast. Sure. Well, now they have a place to go listen about that stuff too. So yeah, they can listen to this one, they can listen to that one, they can go listen to classic. You know, serving they got a variable all, cornucopia. That's right, serving all your D and D needs. A plethora. That's right. All pre two thousand D and Ds. Yeah. And anything else, Nick? You can think of. No, not that I could think of. All right, then we'll just head into uh, Table Matters this week. All right. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, we like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Table manners. I have none. (laughs) That's right, you know. (laughs) Table Manners, we're going to focus on playing tips, t- tips for the player this week. And on mm. the docket, we have ways to use unseen servants. Ah, the unseen servants. We all know we've all had that spell and just kind of like, meh, and never really use it. <laughs> meh. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't use it. I mean, it's, unseen servants can be used for quite a bit of things, and people just don't realize it. Yeah, because they, you know, you read the spell description, and like, eh, it's okay, but, you know, it's not... It's no magic missile. <laughs> no, it's a they, it's a great defensive spell if you think about it. Yeah, it I there's a lot of different ways. Well, why don't you go ahead and you tell everybody what the unseen servant spell is, and we'll kind of get into the, what how we can use this right. little guy. So basically, the unseen servant casts a non visible, like I guess you want to call it person. Mm-hmm. He, he's pretty much like a butler, like a, a, an invisible butler. He can do whatever you want. He can go fetch things for you. He can uh, open doors for you. He can clean things. He can fix things. Uh, he commands pre, pretty much he, whatever you want him to do, he will do within reason. I mean, he can't, like, produce a thousand gold for you, but, you know. Well, he might be right. able to steal it for you. Uh, <laughs> they don't fight, and they can't really be killed. Uh, you can't really see them. They only have six points of damage, uh, six, actually six hit points, so if they do get hit, they probably could be killed, I think. I guess, or like dispelled if they get hit for that much, I guess they just disintegrate. And the components with the spell is a piece of string and a bit of wood, which I kind of find funny. Yeah, I'm thinking puppet? <laughs> yeah, and it, it only can carry lightweight stuff, but... 200 yeah. gold pieces, was that, 20 pounds? About 20 pounds. Yeah, it's roughly 20 pounds. It's still... It's I not, mean, it's really it's really not a creature or a person. It's more of a force. Yes, it's. Yeah. I, I think I usually think of it as like a ghost or something. 
Yeah. Like I think of like a, an immaterial spirit or yeah, ghost or something like that. So, so, yeah. So this is spell a waste? No, I don't think so. So, Nick, you have some ideas? I don't ideas? think so either. I think, you know, there's many creative ways I think you can use an unseen servant as as a way of one of them that I don't know why that popped in my head. I guess it just depends on the situation. Say, for example, maybe most of the party gets in a jail. Right. Can't get the keys. Yep. The wizard's the only one that's not in the jail. He has to somehow get the keys to the player so they got to lock themselves. Well, boom, unseen servant. Maybe that's a way get those keys over to them so they can unlock themselves and get out of the jail. You know, something like that. Or if they're in jail, too, provided that he has his components and you use that, really. Yeah. All he needs is a bit of wood and string. That's pretty easy to find. Yeah, and I also was thinking of other ways to use the serv- unseen servants. You can use them as lookouts. Uh-huh. Uh, you can use them to uh, to go up ahead and scout because no sure. one will see an unseen servant. I mean, you could practically just walk right into a campground and go, okay, there's one, two, three, four, five, six enemies, and they're here, here, and here. Come back and then draw the picture on the ground for you. Now, would an unseen servant alert you to something like that? Why not? Well, I guess it doesn't say in the description. I guess it could. Why not? You could tell them to do pretty much whatever you want. I mean... I guess so. Oh, there's a good idea. Use them as a distraction to draw attention of of your enemies to something else. Yeah, you could That's be hiding, idea. and uh, you already have your unseen servant casted, and there is an enemy trying to find you. You can have your unseen servant run across the other side of the room and throw, like, I don't know, something down the stairs, and the guy goes, aha, and he goes chasing after the sound down right. the stairs. Maybe not necessarily attack them, but, you know, he can, like, if you're in an outside environment, you're, you want to distract some monsters, he can pick up, like, some rocks or a, or a stick and throw it somewhere. Yeah. And it'll distract the monsters. And then there you go. There's your good distraction. That's a real good suggestion there. So, oh, yeah, we have Corey listening in the background. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of threw that as a suggestion. That's a real good idea. Want to give credit where credit is due. Definitely. Uh, so any other way we can use this spell used uh, successfully or any other uses you can use? Maybe he can go get water for you if you uh, are stuck somewhere and you need buckets of water. That's true. Yeah. Need to put out a fire. <laughs> Does it, it doesn't um, actually say what how far distance you can go with him. Uh, it's a thir- three-inch radius of spell caster, so 30 feet radius. You know, but I meant really as far good. as how far he can get away from you. I meant. Oh, it doesn't actually say that. No, not really. That lasts a long time, too. Yeah, six turns plus one turn per level. Yeah, that's a long time. That's and that's non-combat turns. That's like several what hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, I had so. a player use this in my campaign that I was running, the Book of Sorrows. Yeah. They got to this uh this inn that was disgusting and dirty and grimy and everything. So when they went up to bed he cast Unseen Servant to clean the bar while everybody was uh-huh. sleeping. So when everybody came down the whole place was spotless. <laughs> oh, cool. You know, I just thought of a really good way to use it in this. What's that? Is uh say for example, you have your thief. He's unlocking like chests and and coffers and what have you. Mm-hmm. And 
but say your thief just can't undo that trap, you know there's a trap there or you suspect one, you can use Unseen Servant to open the lid. As long as it's not too heavy, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, lid of a chest can't be more than 20 pounds, so... It could be your Nodwick. In a way, yeah. I mean, you have your, your regular thief, you know, unlock it, but, you know, use your Unseen Servant to actually open the, the trap door for, and you guys are at a distance so you won't get hurt, you know? It's a good way of, if you can't at least remove the trap, set it off from a distance so you don't get hit <laughs> with the trap. Maybe. I can just see everyone hiding behind it like this, like, door and then send the Unseen Servant inside and they're all, like, hovering and looking in the, like, the keyhole as the Unseen Servant flips open the lid and these darts go flying through. Yeah, yeah. Now, would they? Do you think they would be able to? Use, in your campaign, say I was playing in your game, Nick, and we were walking through this, uh, this I don't know, dungeon crawl, uh-huh. and I cast Unseen Servant where I thought there might be a trap. Now, if uh-huh. I sent him up ahead, would would my Unseen Servant trigger the trap? Would you allow that or no? No, I don't think so. No? It, well, it depends on the nature of the trap. I think. Okay. If it's a trap, like if it's a pressure plate kind of thing, mm-hmm. if it's detect. You know, something like that. No, I don't think an unseen servant would set it off. I think an unseen servant would set off a trap if it's like a magical trap that detects something that goes over it. Or, you know, if the trap is dependent on a hinge type situation like doors or the hinge of a of a of a of a coffer or a chest. But But, like uh, Corey in the background is just saying, well, maybe he could grab the fighter's uh, scabbard from his sword and drag that behind him while he's walking. That's a possibility. Or maybe he can uh, pick up a heavy rock. And just, like, drop it along the way. And just roll it down the thing for you while he's walking or something. Well, a 20-pound rock, you know? He could definitely (laughs) drag it along. Unseen servant, the new replacement for the 10-foot pole. (laughs) Yeah. I guess in that respect, yes. But I think the unseat survey in itself wouldn't set it off. It would have to have something of some mass and weight I've to seen set it, off the trap. I've seen it a couple ways described. When, when we used to play with the great Joe, he used oh. to always say, when we use unseen servants, he used to always say that you do see footprints in the ground of the unseen servant. Huh. So I would huh. think in his game, the unseen servant has some weight to him. Yeah. And yeah. in other campaigns, I've seen people just say you just feel a gust of wind go by. Yeah, that's how I kind of play it. I guess it really like de- it really depends on the DM. Yeah, it it, it got, I guess it does. Yeah, I think it would be to cool agree. to get it like an ecology article of the Dunsing Servant or something. I know ecology you can't. Yeah, I think it would be kind of cool to look that up. And, uh, huh. I don't even know if there is one. We'll have to check out. Yeah, that. I don't think there is. <laughs> we could make up one. <laughs> we could make up one. Why not? All right, yeah, why not? Uh, so we Different ways you use the spell. Now, what about it uses a string and a piece of wood. Now, what about players that characters come from like odd lands and everything where they do spells differently? Would you allow, because of the nature of where he comes from, that the spell components are different? I guess so. I I, I don't see a problem with that. If that's part of the flavor, the flavor of your campaign setting, yeah, why not? I, I, I can't think of offhand what what something maybe uh maybe more of like a Arabian Nights kind of setting. Maybe the material component is a like a small handful of dust and you blow over it and that's your unseen servant. 
Yeah. Know, something like that. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, so, yeah, I could see that, sure. Why not? All right, well, give us some ideas what you do. Go to the forums, rfipodcast.com, or you can write us rfistaff at gmail.com, or give us a call at our hotline, Nick, right? Hotline. 570-865-4210, the rule for initiative hotline. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll head into some DM advice. Do you have any idea what you're talking about? Why do I sound like I do? Playing tips. All right. DM advice. We are going to talk about one of those, I guess, those rules, those little bugaboos <laughs> that you encounter in first edition AD&D that at first it seems kind of complicated, but mm-hmm. really, if you if you practice it a little, it's not too hard, and that would be surprise. So... <laughs> Talk about oh, right. <laughs> that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> surprise. Uh, we'll talk about how surprise works, its purpose, and how you could role play supply, supp- <laughs> supplies, <laughs> <laughs> role play surprise in your game. So, right. They kind of follow along. Now, where can they find this there. rule? And, and, and where can they find this rule, Nick? Yeah, it's in the Dungeon Master Guide, starting on page sixty-one. All right, 61, now you can folks. read through it. It goes through most of page 62 as well. Right. But really the easiest way to break this down is this. It's all determined by a D6 roll. Right. Normal surprise for any character or creature, you are surprised on a 1 and a 2 on a D6. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now... Where it gets complicated is there are some modifiers to that role. Okay. Okay. One modifier will is a group modifier. Basically, according to the rules, your your surprise role is as good as the best person in your group. Who has the best like, re, re, uh, reflex adjustment? I mean, reaction basically, adjustment. Well. Now that's different. Now, oh, okay. That's that's a little different. That's individual. That's based on dexterity. I'll get to that. Okay. Now, say for example, you have a party of five individuals, and one person in the party is a ranger. Now, rangers have can only be surprised on a one in six chance. Now that because you have a ranger in the party. Your party's surprise is only a one on a D6 because it's based off that of the ranger. Now, there, I believe, are some other modifiers to that. Like, I believe elves can only be surprised on a one and six as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it's a one or a two on a six. Yeah. yeah. So that would modify the role for the whole group. So instead of being a one and, and a two and six... It'd be just a one in six chance. So your odds are getting better of not being surprised. It's never going to be zero. Let's put it that way. Let's already get that out there. It's never going to be zero. You're always going to have a minimum of one. Yeah, you always have a chapter to have some chance of being surprised. Right. Now, where you're going to have modifiers for the individual is in your dexterity, your reaction bonus or penalty, depending on your dex. So... That's where 
uh, your reaction bonus comes in is once the roll is made, then each person either add or subtracts their reaction adjustment to that roll. And it'll never be better than one. So there is a chance that you might have one segment of a, a one segment of surprise. Now it gets a little bit interesting here is the roles for surprise are based off of the, the party and the monster and or monsters that are, that you're encountering. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, it's normally a one and a two and six. Okay. Say, uh, the party rolled a, uh, two, a two. And for the, the monster, it's three, a three. So the party gets, um, is surprised for two segments. Because the monster is not. The number rolled is the number of segments that they're going to be surprised for. So basically what could happen is a lot of things could happen in that surprise segment. Basically, you're caught off guard. You're not ready. You know, you didn't have weapons at the right. You were distracted by something. Something happened that you weren't, you were not suspecting this particular encounter that happened. Hmm. So... I know a lot of DMs that don't even use surprise rules. Yeah. In fact, I'm one of them. (laughs) I'm one of them that doesn't even use these rules. So, you know, if the monster rolled, say, a a one and the party rolled a two, the monster surprise, it gets one segment of of, uh, surprise uh, that is going to be attacked. Basically, it's almost like one segment of free attacks right there. Right against the creature, or whatever you want to do, parlay, mm-hmm. um, parlay. you know, retreat, whatever. So basically, your opponent is caught flat-footed in a way, right? Caught, okay. Distracted. Yeah, a lot, now a lot of a lot of DMs don't use it. Um, I don't use it a lot, only in. Certain circumstances, like I think you said once, that uh, really only with uh, where it says anything about surprise for a particular creature. Yeah, I may, I may use it for that. Yeah. So, but generally, but, I, I just role play the surprises. Right. Right. Um. So, there's a lot of different factors that can contribute to surprise. It doesn't happen a whole lot because, quite frankly, characters. The, the player characters are making a lot of noise anyway. <laughs> well, I played with one DM. Uh, maybe when I moved up to the Connecticut area, there was this one DM that like went strictly by the book. So it said surprise. So he rolled uh-huh. surprise every time, wow. which was a pain yeah. in the butt. I was like, dude, yeah, we see the monster in front of us. We're both engaging. But he's like, no, you have to surprise because the monster can do a super like move with the sword and it could glare off the sun and it could surprise you the way he does it so you never know you can always be surprised no matter what there's always a chance uh-huh. I was like yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it has to be really unusual circumstances you know like it has to be like a monster for example that how it's designed 
has a special surprise rule to it. Or maybe you're in conditions that allow for a surprise to happen. You're somehow in a, I don't know, in a soundproof room. <laughs> yeah. Or, I don't know. I mean, it, it really has to depend. Maybe, uh, you know. Yeah, it just depends really on the situation. That's how I look at role, uh, uh, surprise rules. And ways to role play the terms of surprise. I know I, some people might have problems with that because, oh, it's surprise. How am I going to work that in? Yeah. So basically when I use surprise, I think of it in terms like this. The party's walking down the hallway. Clang, 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 clang. I have a monster set up in a room. Uh Now, this monster hears the clang, clang, clang more than likely, depending on how far they are away. And then most players, they're just going to open doors wildly most of the time. Most of the time, yes. So I'm going to just have them surprised at the fact that something's behind the door if they're wildly walking around like that. If they're walking around tapping the ground, you know, creeping inch by inch, I'm going to have them, when they go to that door and try to open it, depending on what they do, each side rolls a d6. And I just do the higher side as the one that is uh, the winner, and the lower side is the one that's surprised. Right, right. I just make yeah, it simple. I mean, yeah, it it helps to keep it simple. The one thing that I think that uh, a lot of people are put off by surprise is that there are those free segments that happen, which means there's a chance that their character. What I'm only gonna I'm gonna have two segments of surprise on my character. This this troll's going to be able to wail on me for two segments? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you were literally caught with your pants down, so <laughs> there you go. I mean, that could be a little put-offish, I guess, to some people. That could be almost an instant-kill type situation, I suppose. I think two segments is a little much. One segment's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you're frozen with surprise that long, two segments, that you're going to be that, duh, all this thing's I could hitting always, you? I could see maybe one. Yeah. You know? One, and you're like, holy crap, and then you attack it. <laughs> right, right. You're like, okay, oh, fumbling for my sword, fumbling for my sword. Okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. But most of the time, I you know, players are, the characters are making noise, or, or they're being very cautious, going down the corridor, you yeah. know, doing all the things that they're supposed to have, have the torches going, have weapons at the ready, you know, all that good stuff. So, you know, you know, I'm, it's hard to say how, you know, how in regular circumstances, most, I guess most players could be, their characters could be surprised. It would have to be unusual circumstances, I think. Well, the only way I can see both sides being surprised is if they're doing their job, they're creeping down the hallway, and then they open that door, and there is a monster across the room doing whatever, and they're just like, huh? Huh? And I see both <laughs> sides being surprised, but, you know. Yeah, maybe. You know? Or, yeah, they roll the same. On my sense, they roll the same die number, then they'd be both surprised. Yeah. So, so. What, what, did you, what do you think the purpose of this surprise rule was? Just to add a little more flavor into the game, or... Even it out th- for the monsters, or I think that it simulates some of the some of the unexpectedness that could happen. I mean, I don't know. I I guess a real world analogy. I don't know. Like when you're in combat, I don't know. I'd be prior military service. You know, 
you could be surprised from time to time what might come up <laughs> at you. Well, you were but, running around out there in the desert with your M14 on your back and everything. How many times did you get surprised? Well, surprised when there was a mortar attack on, on, on base when oh, they yeah. hit the Burger King. They hit that the Burger King? surprising. So yeah, it can shock you for a few se- for a few seconds if you're yeah if you're not expecting an attack like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it simulates stuff like that. It just simulates the unexpected, like those, you know, those uh, you don't see that every day kind of moments. <laughs> True. <laughs> kind of leaves you scratching your head. Oh, okay. Or at least standing there stunned, I suppose. No, I can That's see you being in the military not being used to being attacked like that. Them hitting your Burger King when you're going to get your double Whopper or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> but adventurers are out there every day living this, getting attacked, getting surprised, getting their butts kicked. They should be used to things like this. Right. That's true. I, um, I guess other way is I don't know how else to explain it. Like, no. you, you never saw Conan get surprised, did you? <laughs> Not really, no. No, because he's used to it. He was running around, getting laid, right. and banging this and that, and chopping things up. I mean, when he slept, he practically slept with his eyes open, so... <laughs> Maybe... Now, this might be going on a limb here. Uh-oh. But... Maybe it's to simulate that the characters themselves are not the the super brave adventures we all think they are, but they're like ordinary Joes trying to make their way in the world. Yeah. Doing these um, professions that they chose. And these are some of those, un- the simulate some of those unexpected things they come up against. Maybe, maybe that's one way of, to explain it in, in role-playing terms. Well, I know they dropped the whole idea of surprise in later editions, like third and fourth and everything, there's no longer surprise, I think, anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, did second edition have... Uh... Yeah. Uh, did second edition know. have surprise? I'm not sure. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Quite honestly, I don't remember. So. But it's kind of interesting to know. I mean, did they drop it in second edition? Did they not? Because I know this was a, a big a, a rule in basic D anD D, like in in um, Mulvane Cook and Holmes, yeah. In the Brown books, uh, it was all throughout first edition. Surprise was maybe they they removed it when they moved forward because they didn't see any more use for it. And okay, second edition does have a surprise rule according to Corey. Okay. Saying, who's listening okay, in with us today? So, Thanks, Corey. And I think in second edition it was a D ten roll to um, go along that initiative became a D10 instead of a D6. Yeah, I know. Yeah, second edition was a D10 segment, which yeah. a lot of people do use that in first edition, I noticed, too. I do. I oh, do. You're one of those, too? <laughs> yeah, I do. I have to admit, I do. Well, I like a D10 they, it, segment. It, it, they do say it logically plays out better with a D10. Yeah, I think it does. I don't know. I like the D6 method. That's just mine. Yeah, you know, each to each of their own. So I, I like using a D10. I think it's it's just easier for me. Oh, and, and second edition, you get bonuses uh, during your surprise round to your attack. Oh, all right. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch is right. What do they do in Hackmaster? Because that goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, it does go both ways. What do they do in Hackmaster, Nick? 
Um, actually, it's like the uh, like the second edition. It, it now that I recall, it's D10, mm-hmm. and there's modifiers based off of your you know your race or if you're a ranger, and um, the number of segments that you're surprised. I mean, if it's, if it's a one to three on a D10, if you roll the one, you're going to be surprised for one, two, three segments. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, cool. Uh, just uh, tell us what you do for surprise and what rules you, you have surprise. I'm sure people have house ruled surprise, you know, or if you even use it at all. Yeah. Or, or if you use it at all, I mean, let us know. Or if I staff yeah. at gmail.com and we'll head over to uh, a wrap up of a creature feature theater that we did in issue number 39 when Nick was running and uh, we'll hand the mic over to Nick when we go into that segment. Creature, creature, feature, feature, theater, theater, theater. All right, everyone. Creature, feature, theater. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing the wrap-up on if everybody can go back in the Wayback Machine. Yep, that's all right. Heck, the issue 39, where the creature was, I think I'm pronouncing this right, the Peritan. The Peritan, Okay. And the Peritan is on the Monster Manual, page seventy-eight. It's a winged creature. It's a combination that looks like of a, like a large eagle or a hawk with the head and antlers of like an elk or a deer. Now, what makes this creature rather unusual, besides its weird <laughs> makeup, is. Uh, I, I always thought it was really cool about this creature was that it casts the shadow of a human. I always thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> so it shows a weird kind of mystical side to it. Also, uh, this creature, it gets a plus two to hit each time it attacks. Uh, oh. Also, also uh, damage, pretty nasty, four to 16 points of damage per attack with its... Uh, that's antlers. Now that's the only attack it gets. It's I guess its claws are aren't that strong, but the antlers are are very very strong in themselves. I'll talk about that in a minute. And normal weapons it's, don't hit it. Wow. Yeah. Plus one or better weapons to hit. So you need magical weapons to hit this creature. That's why most of those uh, attacks didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> average intelligence. So it's a got a it's got an average human intelligence and it's chaotic evil. Now, in itself. Sounds, you know, rather interesting creature. A little tough, a little difficult. Uh, armor class, not too bad. Armor class, seven. So, you know, not too hard to hit. Rather rare. Um, found mostly in mo- uh, uh, mountain peaks, high cliffs. Now, in itself, you know, pretty, pretty interesting, but, you know, not a whole lot to go on it. Now, there was... Back in the day, a Dragon Magazine article that was written, The Ecology of the Peritan. And this was issue number 82, which would have been uh, February of 1984. And in this article, sorry, on page 10, it kind of starts, it's it's a story about a group of adventurers trying to uh, hunt down a couple of Peritan in the area. And they're asking for, for some assistance from somebody who's, 
knowledgeable about them. Now, in this ecology article, and I didn't know this until I looked it up, apparently the pyritan is a creature from mythology. It, oh, really? Yes, it is. Um, it, it alludes to this in the article, and they talk about how there was an, they believe that the Puritans came from another world where uh, they were established on a great island nation known as Atlantis. Now, looking up the information about the Puritan on, on the web, uh, apparently they are tied up in this whole myth about Atlantis, that they came from there. And also uh, in the, uh, the ecology article and also what I found out uh, on the web about the, the mythology about this particular creature is the legend is that the Puritans, as intelligent as the evils they were, helped bring about the end of the Roman Empire, that they brought about the, uh, the fall of the Roman Empire as well. Really? Yes. So the Puritans were uh were uh responsible for the fall of Rome. So it's a Roman mythological creature then. Yeah, it date, dates to Rome, I guess to to Greece as well. Huh. Cuz it's tied up with that Atlantis myth too. Um some of the things that they say in the article about the Puritan is why its horns are so strong is that they are a very heavy mineral base of metals uh, that are in their uh, the makeup of these horns. And one of the things that they need to get the amount of iron and other minerals that they need to make up their ho- horns is hearts. So they eat the hearts of their, of their prey, namely humans. So that's one of the reasons why they go after the hearts of humans is because they need the amount of nutrition that is in the heart of a human to help build up the, their horns and also the for their reproduction. The shells of the pyritin eggs are very, very hard, almost stone-like or metallic. So very interesting uh, article on the pyritin in Dragon Magazine that helps it flesh it out a little bit better. Um, they also, uh, the person who wrote it, Nigel Finley, also alludes in the story that maybe in the past the Puritans had psionics and over time they lost their abilities and they were trapped in this world out of uh, coming from our world, our world of, of the world of where Rome and Atlantis was. So there's a possibility that if you wanted to, uh, Puritans could be a little bit more of a, um, a major evil race in your game world. They seem it seems like in this article they could be a little bit more than what's presented in the monster manual, just another weird creature that you have to fight off with plus one or better magical weapons. So hmm. I think that's kind of interesting. So what 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 do you think, uh, Vince, on the Puritan and other ways you think you might be able to use these creatures? That might be a good idea as an evil race that's trying to take over... Um... Trying to destroy, I should say, a land. Maybe they start infesting the area, like, you know, vermin, and then you start to try to take over a kingdom, and uh, slowly they start amassing a a massive army to attack. Yeah, I see them working through uh, others as well. I could see them working through creatures like, you know, like the one that we had, the Lucrata, or, um, you know, I see them using other 
less uh, <clears throat> intelligent humanoids like uh, ogres, maybe uh, goblins and orcs to be their minions as well. Um, maybe you know what I find animals. interesting about this creature? The, the fact it casts a shadow of a human. Yeah, and you know, in the uh, in the article, they didn't really state, you know, why is that the case? Is it because, you know, they like the hearts of human beings at the E and it casts that shadow? Yeah, they don't really explain the monster manual either. It just says cast the shadow of a human. Yeah, it, that's part of its... I wonder if they explain um, it more in later editions. I'll have to go look that up later on. Yeah, I, one thing that they say in the article, I, I, and I guess I could read this real quick, it says, when the sun strikes the body of a Peritan, feet replace claws and arms appear instead of wings. The horns cannot be seen in the shadow, and the head rounds out to become that of a human, truly a sight that would be at least disconcerting if it were not already so terrifying. And the shadow remains the, the, that way until the Peritan has slain its chosen prey, whereupon the shadow is cast it cast is that of its own body. And it then stays in that state until the creature has devoured and digested its prey. So maybe that is um, a way that the parietin, it desires that it needs that, the, 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 the hearts of humans. And the more it needs it, the shadow of the human becomes more and more into its uh, into its uh, shadowy form, so I guess that's how they kind of explain it there. Hmm. So. Interesting. I don't. I don't see. I guess hmm, maybe it's kind of their. their... Oh, what? here's something from Corey. He says mm-hmm. the mythological aspects for Rome came from the loss of life when the legions would travel across mountain ranges to invade other countries. Can't blame the generals for not feeding the troops. So let's blame the death of our, our only son on a mythical beast. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So it was. So they were just blaming something that didn't really. Maybe. So it's a mythological creature that obviously didn't never existed, and they just used. They made it up to blame it on. Something. Right. 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 Exactly. There's Mori wrote. Suffers the same creation as vampires did the old days of Yugoslavia or Transylvania. Okay. So it's kind of in that same respect as uh, the vampire myths, I suppose. Huh. Interesting. Huh. So, I think that I think it's an interesting creature. You don't see a whole lot about it. You don't see it used a lot. But I think it's I think it's kind of cool in it's in its own unique way. If you take this Dragon Magazine article again, issue eighty two of Dragon Magazine. I think it'd be good something, maybe a, a, a major, not a major player, but uh, um, another organized evil force in your game world who could uh, who acts through others. You said that was Dragon seventy uh, two, uh, eighty two, eighty two. Okay. Yep. So. All right. Cool. Tell anybody, us. I'm sorry, yeah. Nick. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, anybody else has any ideas on using the Pariton and what you think, uh, let us know on our five podcast. So, all right. I don't re- remember our <laughs> email addresses. I'm not going to torture <laughs> you again. RFI staff at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll be right back after this. From the Tome by Arlock the Wizard. The variety of spells available for magic research is wide. A few lend themselves to battle, but it is easier to hire a swordsman 
than to master the spells necessary to do his job. I put it to you that it must be your business to accumulate every type of spell, and to seek out the situations in which any of them might be useful. In particular, it is best to find out the needs of the nobility to whom the common people are attached. The rewards are usually great. Now my view as an elf, as compared to that of humans, must be mentioned as regards my recent victory over the goblins. I am young at 75 years, but this is as long as the average human lifespan. It is known amongst elves that humans are capable of extraordinary feats of energy and daring, and by their action, radical changes can be wrought quickly. But they are just as prone to leaving things undone that are obvious to the longer lived races, to neglect to follow through, simply put, to waste their particular talents. Within months of the incident with Olsh, my goblin friend, we had broken the strength of all the raiding tribes. There was now a fertile area, previously unsettled, ready to be taken by new inhabitants. This wants for strategic action with an eye to the long-term good. For miles around, there was fear of the goblin tribes. And though stories of our exploits had spread, no one was sure for their safety there. But I could see terrain that would support a defensible fortress that with some land cleared would have a commanding view. By establishing a settlement, the security of previously frontier lands would be enhanced. I did not own title to this land, and I lacked the money, allies, and inclination to try to assert ownership. So I decided, in a manner, to sell it, before new goblins or orcs or worse moved in. So I sent word to the nobility of the frontier region. Soon, the second son of a certain baron, by the family name of Athen, sought his fortune with me. I did my best to gain his confidence, and this was not difficult. Those whose lives are spent gaining and holding power will know the benefit of magic almost as well as its practitioners. What Athen needed was a willing peasantry to clear and settle the land but it is hard to convince people to leave the safety of home for the unknown. There's a particular enchantment related to the charm that was so effective with Olsh. The spell is called, simply, Friends. An inexperienced magic user can through easily obtained writings learn this spell, though this is rarely done and even more rarely is it employed. Now recall that the target of the charm, when it works, will be in your thrall for days weeks, or even months, in the case of the weak-willed, like my goblin friend Olsh. But one who resists the charm will know you have used magic on him. He will be overtly hostile, and you will have no further chance to influence him. Similarly, even with success, after the charm has worn off, he will remember everything and also realize he was deceived. This is quite acceptable when meeting a goblin in his lair but not at other times. With the friend spell, those who are susceptible will merely find you somewhat more persuasive and agreeable than normal. Those who resist it will find you irritating. No one will be so suggestible as under the power of charm. But even those who resist the spell will not be aware you have used magic on them. So, 
I hatched a scheme with Athen to gain him a fief in the lands my party and I had made safe from the goblins. Staying as a guest of the local Lord Witterick, Athen learned of all the simmering disputes in the town. Property boundaries, family inheritance, vendetta, guild infighting. Village life is full of grievances that simmer for generations and greatly inconvenience the local nobility. So Athen proposed to Lord Witterick to allow an appeal for settlers to entice away as many dissatisfied people as possible. Lord Witterick was quick to see that a border with another human settlement was preferable to some new menace. The loss of taxable hearths would be balanced by increased security. So, he too became an enthusiastic participant in my plans. Using the notoriety I had earned through fighting the goblins, I ingratiated myself with all the aggrieved peasantry of the area, knowing the identities and problems Athen had reported to me. When these people opened up to me about their particular frustrations, I made sure to excuse myself to a private place for a few moments, and cast the friend's spell, and then returned under the enhanced personal aura of its dweamer. In situations where I could tell the spell had worked on a particular person, I argued that they should leave the area and strike out to the unknown with Baron Athen, that if they lived under his rule, the court would be more sympathetic, the neighbors they resented would be no more worry, they would have more land, a new guild, or whatever it was they wanted. They expressed their fears of the unknown and recently dangerous goblin-infested area, and I reminded them of the victories my friends and I had won. This would have made a suitable impression on the common folk under any circumstances, but the friend's enchantment gave my words added weight. When the spell failed, in a manner of speaking, making me obnoxious, I made sure to offend on the very topic of their grievance. If it was a property dispute, I argued for the neighbor. If it was a vendetta, I pointed out their lawlessness and how it sorely affected their standing. However I could tie my figure to their anger, I did so. In short, by making use of the failure of the friend's enchantment, I became a divisive figure, aggravating many disputes and resentments. Soon, Lord Witterick called a public forum, where he asked for homesteaders to live under Athens' banner in the border region. The fighting men with whom I cleared the goblin caves showed Athens' support, whereas I stayed away, allowing all the villagers to think what they wished. Those on whom the friend's spell worked assumed, since I had spoken to them personally, and the rest of my party was with Athen, so was I. Those who disliked me on account of the spell assumed I would stay behind because I did not appear. But they were all reassured to see the heroes who defeated the goblins standing with Athen. They were also pleased to leave behind their old disputes, the scabs I had so recently torn open. Within weeks, Athen had found 100 hearths ready to depart with him, and the hope of more from nearby towns as the word spread. He settled his fief, and I received the first six months' tax revenue as my payment, and for years kept an alchemical laboratory in his manor house protected by his retainers, also at his expense. So consider how I came to realize the utility of the friend spell by considering not only the benefits of its success, but the effect of its failure, I was able to gain on both counts. And Olsh, my friendly goblin, ended up being quite influential in Athens' success as well. 
I returned to see him several times over the first season of settlement of Athens' new lands. With the gifts and advice I provided him, still in my thrall from the charm, Olsh built himself up as a new chief among the small number of remaining goblins. He convinced them to stay away from the new settlement during the critical early period. But when the charm wore off, Olsh showed a surprising cunning and capacity for revenge. But that is for another chapter of Prestidigitator's Council, Advice for the New Magic User. One of those electronic voting dealies. Okay, welcome back, everybody. And uh, this is the pretty much we're going to have to say goodbye this week. A short show, but we do have a poll up on the site for everybody to look at. Oh, and yeah. That's a cool poll. I like that one. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, so I threw this one up. How would you like to re- like your favorite character to retire? So far, we have the voting in, and uh, the lead of the votes are... Walking off into the sunset so you can play him again someday with 55% of the votes. Yeah. Uh, The 27% of the votes file away and uses an NPC. Death, one vote. (laughs) And then we got one vote uh, for, or 9%, never, I will die playing my character. Obviously that person's being a joker. Yeah. I was torn. I was torn between walking off into the sunset and used as an NPC. You know? I, yeah, I think I would go with the NPC probably. That's what I voted for. Yeah, I voted for Fileway uses NPC because I've done that. I mean, I've actually done it in a previous campaign where one of my old characters is actually the the benefactor of the gaming group of the of the of the adventuring party. Oh, that's cool. So, so yeah, he's kind of like he's kind of like uh, uh, like. They're Charlie's angels, and he's Charlie, you know? So, <laughs> so that's how I kind of used them. But, uh, yeah, I was torn on that. I chose Fileway as, as it used an NPC. Okay, cool. Uh, go ahead and do the site, rfipodcast.com. Vote, 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 vote often, vote early, vote all the time. <laughs> vote often. <laughs> if you're Jason, vote often. <laughs> yeah, if you're Jason, vote often. He manages to vote more than once somehow. I don't know how, but. I don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> It's got a sock puppet account or something. Must have, yeah. But they both say Jason, so that's the weird thing. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, let us what you let us know what you think. Uh, give us a call, 570-865-4210. If you want to write on the site an article or two, give us a call or give us an email, or if I staff at gmail.com. And we're going to say goodbye, folks. And Yep. We'll have another show real soon, a longer show. I'm sure all of us will be there. Hopefully, if hopefully we, if we all, can all get of together, us will yeah. get together this year and have one show. It, it, it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, eventually it's gonna happen. So keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Night, everyone. Roll for initiative.